go ahead, you can grab your Bibles and open up there to 1 Corinthians 7 today. He's talking about a broken world. Is that one of the things that you and I have to acknowledge is that every morning we wake up, not only are we broken, but we're waking up in a broken world. We're waking up to a world that has issues going on all around it, and that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians. This is what he's trying to get across is, is that we have to acknowledge this world is broken, and so are we. And if you don't think you're broken, you're lying to yourself. We need the work of Jesus in our life. That's why he's talked about Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He came so that, that he might give life, and life like we've never known. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose from the grave. That's why he's right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's why he's coming back one day because this world is broken and the world he has for us is not. Amen. Go ahead. It's all right. You can say amen. We're, I know we're not Baptists, but hey, go for it. All right. Might actually have the Holy Spirit come down today. But all I mean by that is, is Paul is just so stoked. He probably didn't say stoked. He's excited <laughs> to, to tell these people that when Jesus Christ came and died and rose again, everything changed. And now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who empowers us even in the most difficult times. Anybody that ever walks up to my wife and says to him this, I don't know how you give those kids back. I never could. Don't ever say that to my wife, because she'll look back at you and go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, do you not have the Holy Spirit and have the capacity to be able to do that? I'm just telling you, don't say that to my wife. <laughs> my wife don't play in this area. I'll go, oh, well, you know, my wife is like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> she'll throw it back at you. That's Paul's point. Either we have the Holy Spirit or we don't. God inside of us? Are you kidding me? And so as he's writing to these people about this issue of sex that was absolutely not only wrecking the Roman Empire at the time, but let's be honest, it's wrecking our little empire we live in called the United States right now. It's probably the grandest form of idolatry, I would say, within our culture right now. And with it, Paul's writing into this group of people. And if you remember right, he was saying, I know how you think and I know how the world operates. And God has given you all kinds of freedom to operate, but not for the law of me, but for the law of Christ. Y'all are different. You think different. You operate differently. And he said, so now, therefore, I want you to think about how is it that even in this area of sex that we can be helpful. And then he also talked about this idea of not enslaved. Remember that from last week? Is that the way in which now Christ works in us is that we are to now not operate by the law of me, but the law of Christ so that I can now have this opportunity to help others to come alongside of them because of what God's given me grace for me to be able to grace others but he also talked about this issue that this sex that he's laying out that he's starting to talk about can become very enslaving and don't allow yourself to be enslaved by it. And then he took them up into the heights of what God intended. You all in here that have the Holy Spirit within you, you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the greatest organization on this planet mobilized to tell people the greatest message of all time. Those of you that are married in here, 
The reason he says don't have sex with prostitutes is because, no, God put you inside of this amazing one flesh relationship of security and safety for the utmost vulnerability. Don't mess with this. That's what it's designed for. And then he finished with this idea. Do you get that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God dwelling in you? And so with that, now Paul's going to move into this. And if you remember right, throw the first graphic up. What he's trying to get is, is that we do have wrong thinking. If you don't have wrong thinking, you are wrong. And our heart then is, is to get God's heart. God, what do you want to do? But then to take that from that, and this is where faith comes in, to now live as God intended. Have you ever thought about it? How many times have you read something and thought, oh, I don't know if I can get there? That's where faith comes in. Now, the problem is sometimes, right, as we hear this idea of sexual immorality, and so Paul says, flee sexual immorality. And oftentimes what happens, go to the next slide, is that we go in and we see flee sexual immorality, therefore all sex is wrong. We go in there, and instead of understanding and gaining the heart of God, we get a little piece of the heart of God, and then we go right back into the world's thinking, and we never start to live as God intended. Now look down at 1 Corinthians 7, and let me show you where the Corinthians went. I think this first part is absolutely hilarious. Look at verse 1. They had just read, flee sexual immorality, And now all of a sudden, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which he wrote, now now he's kind of responding to a letter they'd sent to them. Now look what their response is to that. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What? They went into that little thing about thinking about God, and they're like, oh, so if we flee sexual immorality, then we just, none of us have sex. And Paul's like, what? That's what you jump to? Now, on some levels, just so you can put yourself back in their world, there was a thinking like we talked about last week, but amongst them were this group of people that were probably what were called Stoics and Ascetics, okay? Ascetics just means they were people that deprived themselves of the enjoyment of life because they thought that was kind of our animal instinct, and to deprive myself of enjoyment is the way the really enlightened people live. So in their head, this group of Stoics and this ascetics, what they thought was is that sex was for just animals. We let them do that, but what it is for us is those of us that abstain from sex, we're the super enlightened ones. Now, I am never going to become an Stoic or an ascetic. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Suddenly it's like, come on, preach, let's go. But there was another group of people in that group, so that's one side of it. And then there were the Jewish believers that had looked at the Old Testament inside of it. Marriage and family was this blessing from God. And the truly enlightened people, I'd say it this way, the truly right people are the people that get married and have kids. Those are the more spiritual ones. Now what Paul's going to do is say, are you kidding me? That's spirituality, whether I get married or I don't get married? Now watch what he does down in in verse 6. He's going to kind of give us an understanding of where he's going on this. Look at verse 6. He says, now as a concession, actually that's a terrible translation. It probably just the idea. Look, now as just a, a way of making you aware, this isn't a command. 
I say this. I wish there were all as myself am. In other words, he was a single man. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. To the married and widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, the idea is, in other words, if, if I desire sexual, a, a sexual interaction with somebody, then they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That means some of you in this room were created by God with a passion to enjoy sex. Isn't that crazy? Whoever thought God gave me that? He gave us that desire. In fact, if he wouldn't have given us that desire, we would not have been fruitful and multiplied. He gave us a sense of enjoyment in this. It's a God-given desire that he gave to us. In fact, when you study scripture out, the purpose of sex isn't just for procreation. There's an aspect that's for procreation. But the thing I tried to get across last week the Bible is so clear. It's for enjoyment. If you don't believe me, read Song of Solomon. Man, I read that and I'm like, <laughs> all rosy-cheeked. <laughs> Lisa, check this out. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, I mean, I'm like, what do I do with this book? That's God's heart for what a romantic relationship between a man and a wife is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be romantic. And I'll even say this word, and you can cover your kids' ears real quickly. It's supposed to be erotic. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to fan the flame. But isn't it interesting, like all good things, Satan has a phenomenal capacity to twist it, doesn't he? Food drink, sex, Satan grabs what God gave us to be so good and Satan twists it. And that's why Paul, look down at the end of verse 5. He's talking about after they spend time in prayer, but then he says, see that so that statement at the end of verse 5? He said, be careful. The reason I'm writing to you this is so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Now next week I'm going to next two weeks I'm going to talk about singleness and how we mobilize our singles to think through life and to and to be used by God in a special way but today I want to talk to our married people about the seriousness of the way Satan will come after you in such a special God-given desire, and he will twist it and mangle it in an effort to draw you away from not only enjoyment of your spouse, but the enjoyment of God. And a lot of you out there, and I'm speaking to people carefully, I know there's a lot of you that have either hurt somebody sexually or have been hurt sexually. And this is exactly what Paul's writing to you about Satan is out there to twist it. And what he's going to do is give us the means and the mechanism to know, how do I keep from allowing Satan to come in there and to wreck this God-given special thing that he's given us to enjoy? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's very serious. I'm going to try not to laugh because I feel like whenever we talk about sex, either we clam up or else we get almost like 
throwing around sexual innuendo. So today it's not going to be real funny. And probably a lot of you are sitting there going, well, you're never funny anyways. But I, I, I just think this is so serious. Our churches are being wrecked. And we have the capacity and the ability of God to have the most incredible sexual relationships. If you remember right on that screen that I had up there, we make sex better. Now, how do we do that? Now, so in other words, how do, we, how do we help one another avoid the twisting power of Satan? Now, look down in verse 2. Okay, here's where he's going to come on it. He says, because of the temptation of sex to sexual morality, in other words, because of this world that's headed by Satan that constantly bombards me every single day with the temptation to twist what is meant for sexuality, for enjoying sex, watch this. Each man should have, and we should insert this in there, sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. And what's Paul trying to say? I think what he's talking about is, is everything we've just said is that sex is such a powerful tool that God gives us to fan the, fan the flame within marriage that he says to people, I've created the environment in which it works not only best, but the only environment that it works correctly in. It's between a man and a woman. And not only just any man or woman, but your own man or woman. Now, why would he put it there? I think when God talks about the issue of sex, it's pretty interesting. Like we learned from Song of Solomon, like I said, it's powerful. But let me just read something to you from the book of Proverbs. And if you noticed in this, uh, our boy Solomon was not afraid to talk about sex. But in Psalm, and don't, you don't need to go, if you want to, fine. Proverbs 5.18 is what I'm going to read from. But in verse 18, it says, listen to this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Now listen to this word. Be intoxicated always in her love. What does he mean by that? I think Solomon was hitting on something that we've now found out later in science is that sex is intoxicating. It's powerful. In fact, I would say this, from all the articles I read this week, and I had to come in here and read them because I was afraid to read them on the internet anywhere else, and so I'd come in and I'd be like, and finally a site popped up, said you can't go there, and I'd grab Mike, and I'm like, really, I wasn't trying to look at porn. But I was... I was just reading all these different articles, and the ones that came across that were so big to me was, did you realize that they've done scans of the brain to see what happens inside of a person's brain when they do something? And having sex is 95% similar to taking heroin. (laughs) That was me from my drug past. It's no, I mean, I'm like, gosh. Honey, we should probably do this more, you know. <laughs> but it's this side in which it literally has an intoxicating effect on the brain. Not only that, but there's this little area in your brain right behind your left eye that controls your behavior 
that when you get into that kind of an interaction with your spouse, that part shuts off. So if you ever wondered why people get stupid in those moments, it's because that part shuts off. Not only that, but the brain is designed at that particular point in those particular scenarios to then have this case in which it develops bonding. Now think about this. Sometimes we're called old-fashioned, out of touch, backwards. What other relationship gives the kind of safety and security for that kind of vulnerability? Paul says this is not something to play with. It's special. You're put at a point in that particular moment inside of sexual interaction in which your mind literally is is in a different place. And if there's not a place for safety and security there, the only thing that's going to come from that is heartache, brokenness, and pain. You get addicted to it. But isn't it interesting? Solomon says, be addicted inside of marriage. Go for it. See, that's what's so awful about porneia, sexual immorality, is that it takes that place of that safety and security, it rips it away, and then we say statements like, well, you know, I, I know the Bible you know, says adultery is wrong, but isn't it okay for other kinds of interaction as far as I can still have sex with somebody I'm not married to, can I? To which God would say, you can't handle it. Well, it's just bad for it's just it's just bad for prostitutes, right? But if it's somebody I love, to which God would say, if you love them that much, commit to them for a life. See, Paul wants married people, and by the way, single people to understand the only place that can handle the flame of sexuality is within the confines of a committed man woman relationship. That's it. It's not just there. Paul's going to go on. He's going to kind of give us a, a bigger idea to this. It's not only that it's be shared there, and so sometimes then people just think, okay, good, I'm married. Now we just go crazy, right? Look at verse 3. If we're going to protect our marriages against the twisting of Satan, not only does it need to happen inside of the safe confines of a marriage, but verse 3 also tells us the husband, <laughs> this verse makes me laugh too, should give to his wife her conjugal rights like we're in prison, <clears throat> and likewise, the wife to her husband. Let me explain conjugal rights so that you don't think we're doing time inside of marriage. <laughs> conjugal rights is a terrible translation for this reason. It's actually probably better if you were to read this from this standpoint. It's not conjugal rights, but a benevolent debt. See, the word that's used there that he's talking about that needs to come out from it when he talks about benevolent, it's not conjugal. It is meaning that when you come into your encounter with your spouse, you are to think about this from the standpoint is that I want to come in with a mind, mindset that has her or his well-being in mind. In other words, going back to the law of Christ, I'm not thinking about me inside of sexual interaction with my spouse. 
I'm thinking about my spouse. See, in the Koah, the new covenant takes it, doesn't it? It just goes bigger. Sex in our world says it's all for you. Do your thing. Get what you want. And suddenly God comes in and says, no, it's not about you. It's about that other person that you are married to. You need to understand I've designed you actually for them. The idea of also, and it's not right so much, it's like this debt. Now, most of you didn't realize this, but those of you that are married in this room, when you got married, when you were standing in front of God and you were looking at that other person, you were saying, I owe you this. My libido, my sexual drive, it's not mine, it's now yours. Now, how do I get that? Look at verse 4. Paul clarifies this a little bit more for us. He says, for the wife, he says, does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now, if you just stopped right there, all the people of that time would have said, that's dang straight. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be any other way? I don't know what you're talking about. At that time, women in many cases were property. There to please the man. Now, what Paul's about ready to write in this next sentence would have been radical at this time. His next sentence goes on, and it says, Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You know, the men would have been sitting there going, What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that when you got married, you died and became one. Dreams, goals, passions, desires. And not only that, but one of the areas is is when you got married, you took your libido and your sexual drive and you handed it over to the authority of the other person and said, it's not about me. I need you to care for me. Now that's scary. Because we've all been in places where we've been stepped on, haven't we? To hand that thing off and to say, I'm going to give you this. It's what probably in, in, uh, in Song of Solomon, when Solomon's writing about it, he said there's this little thing called the garden. He used language to try to talk about this idea of, of my sexual drive. and In other words, don't come into the garden before you're married, but once you're in the garden, come in there and enjoy and be there. And what does he mean by this authority, this idea of I'm handing over to you my libido? Now watch this. Look what he talks about. Go with me to 732, just a few verses away from this. He's going to help us to understand a little bit what he means by this, that I'm I'm handing to you my sexual drive and, and my sexual enjoyment, all these things that God wants us to do inside of marriage. Now watch in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things. Now watch this, how to please his wife. So what's the authority, Paul? The authority of handing is is that I'm not going to think about pleasing me. 
I'm going to hand that off to you, and you're going to think about pleasing me, and you're going to hand to me that, and I'm going to think about how to please you. Now, on one level, it's scary, but isn't it on another level kind of exciting? In a cool way, Paul is calling this married couple into this adventure of learning how to please the other one. It's cool. I was asking my wife about this. I go, you know, Lisa, we've been married 20 years almost. Like, like how, do, how do you think I'm, I'm doing with that? <laughs> this is what she said to me. Well, you're improving. <laughs> now, what do I mean by that? part of the adventure, right? Man, when we first get married, we, we're stupid. On so many levels, we're stupid. And that's why God knows, oh boy, man, you guys need some time to work this thing out. But please doesn't just mean in there, but the idea of please, actually that word means to be aesthetically pleasing. Uh-oh. This is the one that confronted me. I was looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, Todd, self, are you aesthetically pleasing? (laughs) Answer, no. (laughs) Now the conviction is I don't want now people to leave with this like self-conscious thing about, oh no, what am I going to do? Because I think that's why girls go into eating disorders and other crazy things. But I also think Paul means it's not about neglect either. See, I think in the church we've tried so hard to be a part of the heart, which I agree with it, but I think Paul is talking about this idea of being attractive on all levels. Being attractive not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually and intellectually. I remember one time somebody said to me, Todd, if you want to know one of the sexiest things you can do for your wife, wash the dishes. Okay, how do I look? You know, I, mean, I, just, I, I didn't know. But it's just this side where Paul says, make yourself so appealing to the other person on so many levels that Satan can never get inside of your marriage and in any way whatsoever cause your spouse's eyes to wander somewhere else. Take care of yourself. Not just because you don't want to go to the doctor or all these other things. Those are all good things. But so that your spouse never takes his or her eyes and wanders anywhere. Now granted, I'm not as good looking as I was when I was 25. But isn't it amazing as we age, we learn beauty in a different way? And I'm not even as old as some of you all. I've still got my bald spot, but (laughs) there's this side of it now where we learn as we age that beauty isn't as important. It's no wonder God makes us more pretty when we're younger. But over time, we start to learn what is pleasing to one another. And Paul is looking at him going, married people, go get the adventure. Go for it. Go enjoy it. 
husband, wife, go enjoy the spouse of your youth. Now the problem is we've got a lot of damage in there, don't we? I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. So what's the redemption? So what's the last thing? The last thing that he talks about is in verse 5. There comes a time in our life, I would say, in which our sexual drive is the last thing on our minds. And Paul says, don't defraud one another. And he just, it's, he says deprive here. The word is probably better defraud. You guys are going to leave and think your translation is awful. I just mean it from the standpoint, it's, it's from a translation, it's better to say, do not defraud one another. It's connected more to his thought above. He's like, look, you're putting your, your, your whole libido out on the line. Now, don't defraud one another. Except he said now, in this one time that's by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then make sure you come back together again. Now listen to me. What he's saying is, is there will come times in your life where you will look at each other and you will understand sex is the last thing on our mind. About 2000, my wife and I were so excited. We didn't think we'd be able to get married. My wife got pregnant. I still remember coming home. She hands me a little bag with some diapers and a rattle in it. And I'm, you know, I'm like, excited. And then six or seven weeks later, miscarriage. The same time we got news that my parents would be divorcing. Sex was the last thing on our minds. See, Paul understands there's times where Satan's not tempting us there. He's tempting us somewhere else. He says, so by agreement, we look at each other. In other words, you don't have the right to withhold sex from your spouse whatsoever except for one reason, and that's by agreement and for a set time. Notice how he says, in fact, the word would actually be for a short time for the purpose of focusing on God. And all I wanted to do was cry out to God. The other place you see it is like in Exodus 19 where he wanted the people to be ready for the Ten Commandments. So he said, for these next few days, I don't want anybody to do anything other than just focus on God. Take a fast from sex to get your heart right. But Paul's giving us all these different things because he knows Satan will twist it. There's about three different groups of people I was thinking about who this is for. Some of you in here, you could have sex, but for whatever reason, as married couples, you aren't. For different reasons. Many times on one side of it, the wife as a means of punishing her husband withholds it from him. Wife, is that, if that is you, do you understand the danger you're placing your husband in? I'm not trying to create an excuse. He has the job of making sure that he remains self-controlled. But I think sometimes wives don't understand what they're doing to their husbands. But on the other end, the preciousness of sex, 
guys, there's just some of us in here who are pigs. All we think about is ourselves. Do you understand that if all you're about is just in that moment getting your sexual fix and just moving on from life without thinking about your wife, that you are putting her out there in danger for Satan to twist? Now, she has to control herself. I'm not trying to excuse her if she does. But God would look at married couples in here and he would say, don't put one another in danger. Now, there's others of you in here that I know you'd like to inside of your marriage, but I know maybe medical reasons or different things you can't. And I meet with women and men all the time that They'd like to have sex, but for different reasons, they can't. The husband or the wife that, that, you know, that could have sex, but the other spouse can't, goes through an incredibly difficult time. And they look at you, what am I supposed to do? The one who is sex that wants nothing more than to, to share that with, with his or her spouse, desires to enjoy that, but looks and goes, I can't, and feels guilt and shame. I'm not going to baloney you and stand in front of you and say, I know what you're talking about because I don't. But in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul lays out one of the most difficult moments of his life. He'd been given, he said, watch this, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. A thorn was given me, he says, in the flesh. What? A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He learned that later. Now watch this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, listen to these words, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ might rest on me. If you are the woman right now that is married to the pig that only thinks about himself in regards to sexuality, don't you now pull back and say, I'm no longer going to serve that man because I promise you, you stay in there and you do this, this call of what God called you to do. You will learn the grace of God and the power and weakness like you've never imagined. Husband that has the wife that's withholding from him. His grace is sufficient for you as you battle even through some of the greatest sexual temptations. The one who is sick right now, His grace is sufficient for you. The one walking with a spouse in the midst of sickness, His grace is sufficient for you. A friend of mine that I have grown to just enjoy and appreciate her and I were talking about this issue. A few years ago, her husband had multiple affairs on her. She decided to stay in. And staying in, the marriage was, was reconciled. For the first year of sex with her and her husband, though, she cried every single time. She didn't want to. 
But something started happening about one year into this. God took it and repented. What's so interesting now is my wife saw her just the other night. They were at something together. And my wife and her were interacting. My wife said this about it. When her husband walked into the area they were, she said this woman just lit up. Why? Because God is redemptive. Whatever you're in, His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. If you would like prayer today, because you're one of those people, we'd love to pray for you. I'll stick around up here. I'm sure there'll be some other people. If you want help walking through this, we've got counseling to walk you through some of these things. If you're somebody here that's not a follower of Jesus and you're hearing this high call and and what it's about, and you'd like to know how it is you can have a relationship with Jesus, we'd like to talk to you today. But for those of you in here that are married, let me just finish with this. By the power of the Father, through the work of Jesus, and the ongoing indwelling of His Holy Spirit, go Enjoy your spouse. I dare you over the next even couple days, go enjoy. And I'm trying not to be crass here, so I'm using the word enjoy. Enjoy the spouse of your youth. What a blessing, amen? Father, thank you so much for everyone that's here. God, help us to truly see sex as you've designed it in your precious name. Amen.